Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. John 2, going to start with verse number 12. Read a few verses of scripture here. I'm going to read all the rest of chapter 2 except for the last three verses. Don't get concerned. We'll pick those up and put those with chapter 3. when We get to it next week. The Bible says in verse number 12 of John 2, after this, he went down to Capernaum. He and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. When he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign shewest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple. And in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. And when therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. And so this is... uh, the known cleansing of the temple. Last week we talked about the water pots, the water that was made wine. This week we're talking concerning the temple. I entitled this lesson tonight this. No lamb, no money, no heritage, no problem. No lamb, no money, no heritage, no problem. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord right now. Father, I come to you here this evening. I love you, O Lord, and I thank you, Jesus, for your kindness. I thank you, O Lord Jesus, God, that you know exactly, Lord, where your people are. You know, Lord God, what we have need of in the moment, God, that we need it. I pray, O Lord, let your word, Lord, stand upright tonight. I pray, O God, and speak to us, Lord, from the scriptures, Lord, and the passage of John. We'll, Lord, give you the praise and the glory for it. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. God bless you here this evening. These verses of Scripture tonight piggyback last week's lesson and in reality are setting us up for Nicodemus' encounter with Jesus Christ in chapter number 3. Last week, the water pots that were normally used for 
the purifying of the Jews in some type of ceremonial use, such as foot washing or hand washing, they had, by the time Jesus had completed his miracle, they had something new in them or they were being used for a new purpose. Typically, they held water uh, for these customs of, of hand washing and foot washing, but instead, after Jesus' miracle, they held uh, wine, as it's stated in Scripture. And that change was made available, of course, by Jesus Christ. That change and alteration of these purifying, uh, these, these pots that were used for purification was made available because of his beginning of miracle, being turning water into wine and incorporating the servants and filling them up to the brim. And they drew and took to the governor and he knew that the best or the better was saved for last. But in our passage here today, Jesus is doing something else. He is turning the traditional practices of the temple on their head as well. And Jesus identifies himself with the temple or perhaps even more accurately uh, as the temple. Not to mention when we go back to chapter 1 that John the Baptist had proclaimed and testified that Jesus was the Lamb of God. And so as we've gotten just so so deep or so far out here in the Gospel of John, everything that we see that has occurred or happened thus far is pointing to Jesus. He's the Lamb of God. He is the sacrifice. He wants to do something new with the ceremonial washings. And he is here in our passage tonight, the temple. And so Jesus Christ thus far is pegging everything that had to do with the law, everything that had to do with people's approach to God, he's pegging everything. Each means, each means of their approach to God now in some way, whether it be sacrifice, whether it be the ceremonial washings, whether it be the temple, in some way involved Jesus or pointed to Jesus. And that is ultimately what Jesus desires to convey when he has his meeting with Nicodemus. It's what he wants to convey for that matter to the entire world. There's a place in John, John 14 and verse number six, Jesus is speaking to Thomas and he tells Thomas these words and these are in reality the words that are flowing all throughout the gospel of John. Jesus told Thomas, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And that is the sound that Jesus has given us even here early on in the gospel. He is the Lamb of God, the sacrifice. He's wanting to do something new concerning all the ceremonies, even of the washing. And he is the temple. Anybody that comes to the Father must come by Jesus Christ. Amen? Hallelujah. He is the mediator that the New Testament Scripture tells us in some of the epistles. He's the mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. He is the mediator, as the book of Hebrews tells us, of a new covenant. In another place of Hebrews, he says he's the mediator of a better covenant, which was established, the Bible says, upon better promises. And so with that in mind tonight, 
Knowing what our scope is and where we are heading, let's look at some of the details then of our passage here this evening. Uh, The importance of the Feast of Passover is relayed to us in the opening verses of our passage. Uh, A male's participation in it Uh, And his participation in the feast of Passover is vitally important as well. We can see this in that after Jesus and his disciples and his mother and his brethren, the Bible says, uh, left Cana of Galilee. They went to Capernaum for a period of time. Capernaum was 16 or 20 miles away. They went to Capernaum, but the Bible relates that they were just there for a few days because the feast of Passover was at hand. And so it was a... obligation and important for the male Jews to be at Passover. The Old Testament law even prescribed three main feasts, uh, that of being Passover and Pentecost and Tabernacles, that it was mandatory or required of the males to attend these particular feasts. The Bible records this for us in Deuteronomy 16 and verse 16. Three times in a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, in the feast of unleavened bread, which was Passover, and in the feast of weeks, which was Pentecost, and in the feast of tabernacles. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty. And so it was important, it was vital, mandatory, if you will, uh, for a Jewish male to attend these particular feasts. All the other gospels that we read of, the other ones outside of John, they account for Jesus going up to Jerusalem uh, by and large, recorded-wise, only recording it really once. And that's whenever he went to Jerusalem and he was uh, going to go through his trials and he was going to be the Passover lamb, Calvary, and sacrifice. They record Jesus only going to Jerusalem once outside of him just visiting Jerusalem when he was a 12-year-old boy in the temple. Uh, but John records Jesus going to Jerusalem through his gospel several times. And perhaps uh, one reason this is, is the other gospels focus primarily on Jesus' ministry in and, in and around Galilee, whereas the gospel of John, the fourth gospel, has a predominant focus of Jesus' ministry within the city and around the arena and area of Jerusalem. Nonetheless, One and some sources say that adult males who lived within a 15-mile radius of Jerusalem were required to be at Passover. And so Jesus, uh, being within that scope, being a Jew, all right, and also understanding that his purpose for coming wasn't to necessarily destroy the law but to fulfill the law, right, Uh, he would go unto the feast of Passover. Passover. He would be in compliance with the law. And so he went to Jerusalem, but it's important to understand he's going to Jerusalem at Passover as the aforementioned label, as the Lamb of God. He's going to Passover as the Lamb of God. For that matter, can I say tonight that never had there been a more perfect Lamb in Jerusalem during Passover than when Jesus walked the streets of Jerusalem during Passover. Amen. But John depicts 
here in his gospel, the cleansing of the temple at this moment in time. John depicts the cleansing of the temple at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, whereas the other gospels depicts the cleansing at the end of Jesus's ministry. It is my uh, belief that there were two cleansings. Some try to make them the same one, and that one just put it at the beginning, one at the end. But it is of my personal opinion that I believe there were two cleansings of the temple, one in the beginning of his ministry and one toward the end of his ministry. However, it is important tonight to set the stage for what is going on in the temple in order to relay what I believe we need to relay here this evening. What's going on in the temple as Jesus approaches it and where this is going on inside the temple as Jesus is approaching it. In order to understand why Jesus reacted the way he did to what was going on and where it was going on inside the temple. Because the Bible tells us that he made himself a, a scourge of small cords and he drove out uh, uh, the animals out of that place he told those that sowed doves you know get hints from here he overturned the tables this is this is a uh, uh, a notable time in the life of Jesus that people all time goes to talking about him cleansing uh, the temple but there were basically two groups found among those in this temple area as Jesus approaches it. When he came to the temple, he found two groups. Number one, he found the money changers. And number two, he found those who sold animals or that was the sellers of the animals. They were selling oxen and sheep and doves. And so when we look at the money changers, they were there here uh, in the temple for a couple of reasons. And you'll please bear with me tonight, just kind of set a little basis that's going to help our understanding here before we're all said and done. The Jews would come to Jerusalem for Passover from a lot of different areas and a lot of different geographical areas and regions. Not only that, but within the city of Jerusalem, we have a dynamic of different societies in Jerusalem itself. You have the Romans, you have the Greeks, you have the Jews themselves. You have, you have differing societies found right within the city of Jerusalem itself. And as a result of people, Jews coming from different areas and these different societies that are just founded within Jerusalem itself at this time, there were many different currencies that were circulating in Jerusalem that were valid, all right, valid currencies, all right, even for Jerusalem. But there were several currencies that were circulating at this time. Now, uh, there is, though, something important concerning this. Every Jew that was over 19 years old, he had to be uh, 20 years old, he was obligated, according to the law, to pay a temple tax. And the temple tax, its use, its purpose was to actually help in maintaining some of the functions, sacrifices even for that matter, in and around the temple. So annually... Uh, these that were 20 years and above were to bring a temple tax unto the temple. The temple tax consisted of the amount of a half a shekel. And for them of that day, it equated to almost two days wages. So every year, about two days wages of about that came to about two days of their wages they would give to the temple that half a shekel for the the functions of the temple sacrifices around the temple and the thing is the tax though 
had to be the shekel. that particular currency, which was not always found among the normal commerce of that day. All the other currencies uh, would be considered by the temple unclean. Didn't matter if they were equal in value. They'd been considered unclean except for the half a shekel or the shekel. Uh, It was sanctioned for the temple. It was sanctioned just for this purpose. And so... The money changers are there at the temple because there's going to be people coming there, Jews from different areas, some have different currencies, and they're going to come to the money changers and they are going to get their exchange rate. There's going to be a conversion of their monies in order to get the half a shekel that was sanctioned by the temple. And so when they would get that one standard coinage for the payment of the temple tax, it was going to come from the money changers for, uh, you know, paying their tax and even maybe possibly for using for paying for an oxen or perhaps a turtle dove or, or a sheep that was there for a sacrifice maybe that they even was going to bring unto the Lord. And so the money changers note this, that they weren't just simply uh, exchanging equal ratios of the needed currency of the half a shekel for whatever was given to them. As any good business person would, and even today, there were fees charged for the exchange, for the service that was being provided. I mean, it's just a little bit of a courtesy. If you think that's what you need, they're providing the service for what you need, there's going to be a fee. That, that's business, all right? Everybody doing okay out there in the live stream world? All right. In addition, though, to money changers, that group, we also have sellers of the animals, of oxen, sheep, and doves. And this was a permissible practice, I wish to add. It was a service that was provided for the people that had been traveling a great distance in order to get to Jerusalem, to the temple, for the feast of Passover. This service provided for them that instead of bringing their own animal and traveling a great distance with it, they could and were able to purchase one of the sacrifices, one of the animals on site for the purpose of their sacrifice. Now, a person could bring an animal of their own, or there were even some places outside the temple that a person could buy an animal. For that matter, they could buy an animal at a cheaper rate. But most of the animals that were bought on the outside of the temple when brought into the temple still had to be inspected, right? Because we're looking for a certain type, a certain condition, a certain tier level, if you will, uh, of animal. And so they still had to be inspected. And the historians say that most animals that were bought outside the temple and was brought inside the temple for inspection inspection were normally refused upon inspection not only that joe and mary that brought you know bought just outside the temple and brought their sacrifice in they had to pay a fee for their inspection all right but if you bought the same animal on the inside of the temple they have documentation that it was typically considerably more For instance, I read in one place where a pair of 
turtle doves, a pair of doves outside of the temple was about four pins, all right? But inside the temple could be up to 75 pins. Now, if you're talking about the average uh, wage per day uh, was a little less than four pence at that time. So you're talking about buying outside the temple. You had about a day's wage in getting your animal, not to mention the half a shekel for the temple tax, which was about six pence, was about two days wages. All right. Then compared to that, going and buying one on the inside of the temple that we're talking about several days pay that would equate to that. So when you think about this, um, to purchase a couple of turtle doves, which were an acceptable sacrifice, for that matter, Old Testament bears that the turtle dove was accepted as a sacrifice because it could be the sacrifice of those that didn't have means or that were poor. We read in the scriptures sometimes whenever a lamb wasn't capable of being brought or another sacrifice. They said, well, if that wasn't able, then you could bring some turtle doves because surely even somebody of even some of the lowest socioeconomic status could pay for some turtle doves. They were cheaper than oxen. They were cheaper than sheep. And so perhaps they could buy turtle doves. Why? Because God in his system, and when we talk about sacrifices and animals, that was all of God's system of worship. He wanted to make it where anybody could worship. Right? And so if they couldn't bring a lamb, they, a, a turtle dove's much cheaper, so perhaps they will bring a turtle dove because we're not going to ban anybody from worship. We read of this in Old Testament Scripture as a premise. Leviticus 5 and verse number 7, the Bible is speaking here concerning the trespass offering. And we see in verse number 7, a concession made if you were not able to bring a lamb. Look, verse 7, and if he be not able to bring a lamb, then he shall bring for his trespass, which he hath committed, two turtle doves or two young pigeons unto the Lord, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. So we're talking about an individual that, that, that the statement was for a trespass offering, you should bring a lamb. But he's saying, but if they can't, if they don't have the means, then we're not going to exclude them from being able to take care of their trespass, their sin. We're going we're gonna to make it, Low enough, if you will, uh, in order for them to be able to purchase turtle doves and be able to take care of their sin. And so there's a concession that is made that makes it available for them to be able to do what anybody else would be able to do. We read of this also in Leviticus chapter 12. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament law that after a woman has had a child, she would have to go through so many days of, of purification, uh, a certain number of days if it was a boy that she had or another set, a different set number of days if it was a girl that she had but after the days of the purification was over the Bible says that that woman should bring a lamb for a burnt offering unto the Lord and a turtle dove or a young pigeon for the sin offering but again within this context of scripture it tells us if this lady that had just had a child went through her days of purification if she was not able to bring a lamb for her burnt offering then instead of one turtle dove she could bring two or two young pigeons, and one would be used for the burnt offering, and the other one would be used for the sin offering. What the Lord was making it achievable 
right? To, to, to get ourselves right with the Lord. He was making it achievable in some of these other areas where we could come with our sacrifice and worship him. For that matter, Mary, the mother of Jesus, right? When she came to the temple with her child after her days of purification, the Bible says that she had two turtle doves, all right? Two turtle doves, which means they weren't the richest clan in the group, right? Because they brought the, the, the lowest of value, if you will, of sacrifice that they could, but it didn't exclude them because they could bring that unto the house of the Lord. And so when we see all this, all of these means, turtle doves, things of that nature, uh, a, a, a less, less expensive sacrifice, all of that was for the purpose to make sacrificial worship attainable for everybody regardless of what their social economic status was in life but at the prices watch me very closely but at the prices that the animals were being sold at inside the temple there's a chance that there were some that were possibly eradicated altogether among the poor from participating in worship because they couldn't afford it just watch it here. Watch with me for a minute here. And so what we have here, and I'll talk about this just a little bit more, but what we have here with the money changers is a ministry of convenience. What we have with the sellers of animals is a ministry of convenience. And their purpose ultimately was to aid people in their worship at the temple. Amen. Want you to get, I want you to have the right currency to pay the tax that helps the temple function in worship. I want you to have the right currency and, and the proper animals so that you can sacrifice unto the Lord with worship. But what had happened in this moment, and this is in part why Jesus reacted the way he did. They, these things that were supposed to aid in worship had deteriorated into nothing less but business as usual. Stated quite, quite frankly, worship had become business as usual. Amen. Now just, just, just stay with me. All right. Hallelujah. Glory, amen, amen. Hallelujah, glory. Verse number 16. Know what Jesus says. He said, as he comes to the temple, he's driven people out. He's told those that sow doves, don't do this. Here's what he says. He says, make not my father's house an house of merchandise. Now, some of the other gospels state it from their perspective a little differently, but it still rings true. But let's hear how some of the other gospels state it. Most of the other gospels state it like this. My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now, we're going to look at that den of thieves because there's more going on there than an exorbitant amount of money for a sacrifice. Or a high fee maybe for an exchange. Just stay with me. Look what Mark says. He says it a little differently. Mark 11 and verse 17. The Bible says, and he taught, saying to them, Jesus is saying, is it not written, my house shall be called, note this right here, of all nations, the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. He says, it shall be called of all nations, not just a Jewish nation, 
all nations. The house of prayer. He said, but you made it a den of thieves. Leading up to the holy place, to the temple in Jerusalem, there were different courts leading up to it. The outermost court of the temple was the court of the Gentiles. Past that, a little further inward, was the court of the women. A little further inward was the court of the Israelites. A little further inward was the court of the priests. The last court before the holy place. It was in the court of the Gentiles, that most outer court, that these money changers and sellers of sheep and oxen and doves had been set up doing their business with the high-priced sacrifices along with the perhaps at times people haggling over a fee. Just think of your even modern-day marketplace. People maybe perhaps haggling over some exchange fee. At times there would have been... No doubt some disputes or disagreements over the amount or uh, especially some that's been in any type of way in Jewish culture and society that may be bantering back and forth with if that was proper or right, so on and so forth. Nonetheless, many of these things taking place, watch now, in the court of the Gentiles. <clears throat> now listen, the court of the Gentiles was the only place that the Gentiles were permitted in the temple. This court of the Gentiles is where a sincere Gentile could come and could seek the Lord by prayer, could approach the Lord in humble worship in the court of the Gentiles. But when you got people changing money over here, and people selling animals over here, it could have made it difficult for a sincere Gentile standing in the only court he could stand, trying to worship, trying to pray. It could have, if you will, complicated his worship because of the distractions. It could have complicated his, his, his prayer because of the interruptions. If I can back it up like this, it may have been difficult for the Gentile nation to worship and pray or even be deeply affected by the Lord because of what was going on there in that outermost court. That's how Jesus comes and he's a little bit upset. He's a little bit off center, amen, at this moment in time concerning his emotion because his house of prayer, even if it was the outer court, the Gentile court, his house of prayer had become a house of merchandise. Worship, again, had become business as usual. Amen. The house of merchandise, he even says in many of the other gospels, had become a den of of thieves or a den of robbers. Why? Not so much so because of the money that was being exchanged or, or the high price that was on this and not on that. No, it was a den of thieves because of what was going on. It robbed 
God of some worship that was due unto him because of all the clamor, all the merchandising. It was robbing God of worship and it was robbing the worshiper of drawing near unto God. In that sense, it had become a den of thieves. I'm not talking about money, but I'm talking about the worship and the prayer and the adoration and the ebb and flow that comes from a saint to God and from a God to a saint. The whole atmosphere was one of distraction and interruption and in that mode it had become thievery in the eyes of God. Amen. Sure, maybe some prices were high. Maybe some fees for exchange rates weren't quite right. But in what was going on, some people's ability to worship, for instance, the poor and the Gentiles, was being robbed them due to what was taking place there in that moment. Robbed of their privilege to worship and pray, but at the same token, robbed of their ability to be able to receive from the Lord as well. So in that note, Mark says it well, because all nations could not call that the house of prayer if the Gentile nation was excluded from being able to approach because of the interruptions and distractions in the court. God says my house is a house of prayer. It's a place of worship. And so this is why Jesus enters the temple and he drives these people out. This is why Jesus enters and he drives out the animals. Because what Jesus was doing in that moment, Jesus was fighting for a worship without distraction type of model. He was in support of all nations calling that house the house of prayer. Regardless of what nation they were from, regardless of what their status was, regardless of their economic level and standings, for that matter, regardless of their race, he wanted everybody, all nations, to have the opportunity for worship, for prayer, for approach unto God. So this wasn't, this wasn't as much so much about money and merchandise as it was about prayer and worship. Jesus didn't want people's, people's approach to be hindered. In other words, I don't want the poor not to be allowed to worship because they lack a sacrifice. And I, I don't want them to, 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 to be excluded from this because they lack money. Or I don't want the Gentile to suffer in his court because that's as far as he can go, that court alone. And he's got all of this disruption happening in this very place. <laughs> See, temple sacrifices, and for that matter, the present way of doing things here in John chapter number 2, in Jesus' eye, would never lead all nations to God. They would never, the practices of this very moment, would never have all people calling that house the house of prayer. Watch me right here. Because the all-nation scope that Mark spoke of, the all-nation scope that this was to include, are those that would be empowered 
by the gift of the Holy Ghost. All nations would be reached because of the Holy Ghost. Remember, when John the Baptist spoke of Jesus, one coming after him that didn't baptize with water, but baptized with what? The Holy Ghost. It is the Holy Ghost that would enable the receivers to be witnesses, look, to all nations. The Bible says, Acts 1 and 8, Scripture we love and adore, Jesus speaking to his apostles, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. John the, told us, John the Baptist told us that Jesus Christ would be the baptizer of the Holy Ghost. Jesus says you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses, which is a very concrete living thing throughout the book of John unto me both where? In Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, that's mixed Jew, mixed Gentile, unto the uttermost parts of the earth. What's he talking about? Witnesses, this thing go into the scope of all nations. How? Through and by the Holy Ghost that he could empower and baptize people with. Jesus is saying, it'll never reach all the way it's set up right now. All nations will not be encompassed the way it's set up right now. Amen. He came as the new and the better covenant. The new and the better way. Amen. Whereby all nations would call his house the house of prayer. Whereby all nations would be impacted and affected by the power of his spirit. So Jesus comes in with his cord. He does this thing. He states his words. And all of these actions in this moment, as his, some of the disciples that came with him was witnessing all of this, they began to remember the Psalm 69 and 9. And they even speak what it was. They said they remembered it. Amen. That the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Consequently, amen, Psalm 69 is a messianic song. It is a psalm that is forecasting and foreshadowing the Messiah. And so when they see uh, the demonstration of Jesus, that does nothing more but inflame and embolden their realization that this is the Son of God. This is the Messiah. This is Jesus the Christ, the anointed one. The zeal of his house hath eaten him up. And for that matter, the word zeal there means this the jealousy the jealousy of his house hath consumed him what's Jesus jealous about he's jealous because these other things are distracting worship from him these other things are distracting being thieves and robbers of worship unto God. And so he's jealous of his house and it consumed him and it preoccupied him until he reacted the way that he reacted Matter of fact, Jesus was so uh, uh, mindful of this and, and even the great God, amen, in heavens put some things in order for days to come that we've not even yet approached yet, amen, for this not to be the occurrence in the future. The Bible speaks in Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 21 concerning some things and Zechariah is being prophetic. Zechariah is speaking of the second coming of the Lord and when I speak of second coming, I'm talking about 
the moment in time in the future when God will come back with his church and establish his kingdom upon the earth. Zechariah is speaking of that time and says in verse 21, yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of the hosts. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them. Amen. It's speaking about the sacrifices in the pot. All, all that sacrifice shall come and take of them. And seeth therein. And in that day, there shall be, watch this now, there shall be no more the Canaanite. You can read other translations. You can read uh, uh, the translation of Canaanite right here in the language. It is, they sh there shall be no more the merchant or the trader, or the trafficker. It's referring to the very thing that's happened here in John with the money changers and the sellers. He's saying in that day, when I come to establish my kingdom, that's going to be an everlasting kingdom that will know no end. He said, we won't have to worry about merchants then. We won't have to worry about traffickers then. In that day, there will be no interference with the worship of the people. In that day, everybody who has made themselves to know me, who has received me, everybody will have access to me. Hallelujah. He's saying there's going to be a day you might be dealing with some distractions right now and some interruptions right now in worship, but in that day... In my kingdom, all who desires to have access, all who has received me to become the sons of God will have access. They will not be having any limitations in their worship concerning me. If I can say it as I've titled this lesson tonight, if they have no lamb, no money, or no heritage, no problem. Because no merchant, trader, or trafficker will be in the house of the Lord then. His house will be as it was intended to be one of prayer and worship and adoration a ebb and flow of the glory in the woo oh Jesus amen now getting a little beside myself there amen after Jesus' reaction in John the Jews and you see this over and over again in, in the book of John. There, a wedge has started and it will continue to get deeper between Jesus and the Jews. Much had to do with their lack of understanding who he was in reality. The Jews come to him now after all this and they ask him, since you did all this in the temple, give us a sign. It's a typical thing that if a new prophet or something arose, so on and so forth, and they, they declared that this is who they were, or they were a servant of God, and the Jews were like, well, give us some type of credentials, right? Uh, produce, if you will, some sign that can justify the actions that you've taken, Jesus. This is very common. We read in Corinthians that the Jews sought for a sign. The Bible says the Greeks sought for wisdom. Uh -huh. And so the Jews sought for a sign to validate the actions, to validate the words. And all throughout the scripture, there's one predominant sign that Jesus gave unto the Jews. The only sign that Jesus gave them in one particular place was the sign of the prophet Jonah, which would foreshadow Jesus' own death, burial, and resurrection. We read of this in Matthew 12 and verse 39. But he answered and said unto them, <clears throat> Jesus is speaking, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. 
And there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. Verse 40, for as Jonas, which is Jonah, was three days and three nights in the well's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. (laughs) So the sign that he gave them was really foreshadowing the sign that he would ultimately give in the closure of his life, of his death, burial, and resurrection. He tells them, even in John 2, he says, you want a sign? Okay, destroy this temple. And in three days, I'll raise it up. Now, isn't it amazing that people can say something and what you hear is not what they said? Because later in the trials of Jesus before his crucifix, they're trying to bring charge against the Lord. And they say that Jesus said, he said, I'll destroy the temple. And in three days, I'll raise it up. But that's not what he said. He said, you destroy it. And in three days, I'll raise it up. And so these people, these Jews thought, and there's a lot of double meaning throughout the Gospel of John. These individuals thought that he was speaking about the literal temple. And I know that he tells us he's talking about the temple of his body, but I guess in some regards he may have been to a certain degree speaking of the literal temple because due to the money changers and the sellers of animals, the purpose of the temple in certain regards had been destroyed or at least interrupted. There had been in the outer court with the Gentiles a destruction what the purpose of the temple was about. But ultimately, Jesus said himself that he's talking about the temple of his body. So Jesus was here among men and women. So since that was the case, Temple sacrifice and the way that they had always done worship in reality was coming to an end. Because while they're over here selling an ox and a lamb and a dove, the Lamb of God is standing there. While they're talking maybe about the different courts leading to the holy place in the temple, the one who said his body was the temple was standing there. For that matter, in one aspect of the gospel, it says a greater than the temple was there. So I present to you this evening this. You don't have a lamb? No lamb? That's okay. John the Baptist has already told us that Jesus is the lamb of God. He also told us our writer of John of the gospel in the book of Revelation that he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. No money, that's okay because silver and gold can't do what you need done anyway. But the precious blood of Jesus Christ that Paul said as a lamb without blemish and without spot, it can do it. You don't have a heritage? Don't worry about that. In Ephesians, it says, in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar off. You know who that was? It took its, it took its, its platform, its design straight from the temple. 
that Gentile that was the furthest from the holy place. Gentile, women, Israelites, priests. That one that was the furthest away now is made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because whenever Jesus hung on the cross and he gave up the ghost, what happens in the temple? The veil rents from top to bottom. Where it was only for certain people on certain days for access. Now those that were far off because of the blood are brought near. You don't have no heritage? That's okay. No problem. Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus is the price. Jesus is the temple as well. And he will give you a heritage that you've never had. He is the way to God. And everything that we've seen thus far in John is pointing to Jesus. That's how when we get into our lesson next, next week and Jesus starts to talk to Nicodemus about being born of water and the spirit, it all circles right back down to Jesus. That's what people need. That's what all the nations need. No lamb, no money, no heritage, no problem. I give you Jesus. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah. Can we raise our hands right now? Hallelujah. Can we raise our hands right now? Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Lord, I don't want, Lord, any aspect of worship in this moment to become business as usual. God, let there not be a distraction, an interruption. Let there be an ebb and flow. I pray, oh, Lord, today. God, of our heartfelt, sincere worship unto you. God, and the reciprocation, Lord Jesus, of your spirit. God, unto us. I pray, oh, Lord, today, God, there are many things, Lord, in this life that we are without. God, if it was by all the prescriptions, Lord of other people some of us would be uh, totally God ignored incapable Lord of bringing worship incapable Lord of bringing sacrifice there would be some of us Lord that couldn't call that house our house of prayer because there would be too much distraction but God you came down to secure it for us you came down to remove the distractions you came down to remove Lord all the ceremonial Lord Jesus processes and you ripped it open wide God that we may boldly enter into the throne room of God hallelujah and ask for mercy in the time of need regardless where we are where we come from what our background has been it's pointing to you hallelujah Jesus hallelujah Jesus God we need you we want you God and we're ready Lord God for that day that will come when no merchant trader or trafficker Lord will be found there will be no interference there will be no distraction there will be nothing Lord hallelujah uh, complicating Lord the worship experience between us and not God in the name of Jesus Christ that I pray hallelujah hallelujah amen and amen in Jesus name that I pray hallelujah hallelujah thank God thank God thank God hallelujah God bless you here this evening
Amen. In the house of the Lord. We'll continue, amen, on to chapter 3 next week. This Sunday morning, we're continuing still with your pastors and your leaders. We will finish that up, amen, this coming Sunday morning. And again, remember, Sunday night, Evangelist Riddell Seals is going to be ministering through our live stream, amen, and to this precious group of people. I- Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.